right. Thank you, worship team. Appreciate you guys leading in church. It's good to see you all this morning. Uh, last week, I wasn't here. I was in Utah with a team. We got some of them in here this morning. Next Sunday, Lord willing, we'll get to share a little bit about that trip so I won't steal anybody's thunder uh, from it, but it was a good trip. Uh, you can ask anybody that participated. There was a lot of hard work that took place, uh, but I think we managed to have some fun as well, so I think it turned out for the best. But uh, we are going to be finishing the book of Daniel this morning. Now, some of you guys may wonder at that because you were here last week. You know, we looked at chapter, what, nine, and then you look at the fact that there's, what, three more chapters to go. I'm telling you, we're going to cover three chapters this morning. I hope you all packed a lunch. Uh, just kidding. But if you would, look with me there in Daniel chapter 10 as we continue walking through this book. Uh, I want us to understand something right at the start of today's message. Uh, look at verse 1 of chapter 10. In the third year of King Cyrus of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel whose name was Belteshazzar. The message was true and was about a great conflict. He understood the message and had understanding of the vision. So verse 1 there is the only point in Daniel 8 through 12 where it's not in the first person. It's an explanation. It's a note saying, all right, this is what's taking place. But then in verse 2, we jump right back into Daniel sharing his perspective. First person's perspective, he says, In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three full weeks. I didn't eat any rich food, nor meat, nor wine entered my mouth, and I didn't put any oil on my body until the three weeks were over. And so it's kind of a strange moment that we find Daniel in. First off, we have this interjection, right? Probably a scribe taking notes here and saying, this is what was going on when this happened. And then Daniel jumps back in to share his stories. And the first thing he says is, I was mourning. I was mourning. Now, why was he mourning? Why in the world would Daniel be mourning? Because it says it's in the third year of King Cyrus, and we know that that's about the time that King Cyrus gave his decree that Israel could go back to their homeland. This is the very thing that Daniel, all through this book, has been longing for. In Daniel chapter 9, we see that this is what he says. I read in the book of Jeremiah that the number of years of the desolation of Jerusalem would be 70. Those years are up. Those years are over. Daniel now in chapter 10 is sitting there in the moment when Israel has been free to go back to their homeland and he's mourning. Why? I think it's because he didn't get to go. He's too old to make the trip. There are brothers and sisters of Daniel who are back in Jerusalem, back in the homeland, and he doesn't get to go. Now, the text doesn't say that. That's conjecture on my part, but I can't think of anything else that would explain Daniel's sorrow, especially the kind of sorrow that leads to three weeks of fasting. I don't know about you, but three weeks of fasting, it would take a lot for me to get there. He is distraught. He is exceedingly upset, and we see this in what he says. Because he had read in the scroll of Jeremiah, he had had this hope, of the return, and now some have got to go back, and I think he's kind of realized, wait, I'm old. He's probably mid-80s at this point, maybe even 90. He can't make the journey from Babylon to Jerusalem, and he's mourning. Do you guys remember 
way back when, when we started this book? Do you remember Daniel chapter 1? Do you remember the introduction to this? And, and I know you don't, so you don't have to pretend otherwise. You don't have to, you know, try to make the preacher feel good. You all slept since then, and I have too. I had to go back and review some notes and look at it. And in Daniel chapter 1, what we see is Daniel gets carried into Babylon. He gets brought out of his homeland into this place of oppression, this place of slavery, this place of not my home. And that's where he's at. And we see him be faithful through so many trials, faithful through so many different kings and so many different administrations and so many different experiences. He interprets visions. He gets thrown in a lion's den. He comes out. He's vindicated. He has more visions. And now, everybody else got to go home, and he's stuck. That ought to color how we read chapters 10 through 12. Right, we have a tendency to look at chapters 10 through 12, and it's a vision, it's one vision. All of this, the the reason this is all one text, and I'm not gonna read all of it, just for those of you who are worried, Right? But all of 10 through 12 is just one vision. And in that vision, there's these incredible revelations that are given to Daniel about the coming events in world history. But if we miss the context, if we miss what's going on, then we might get the wrong idea, and I think we have for centuries. We've come to Daniel chapter 10 through 12, and we've said, all right, I'm going to nail down my eschatology. I'm going to know everything there is to know about the events that are being described here. But why does Daniel receive the vision? It's not so that he can know what's going to happen. It's so that he can be encouraged. Look with me again here in chapter 10. In those days, I was mourning for three full weeks. I didn't eat or any rich food, nor meat or wine under my mouth. I didn't put any oil on my body until the three weeks were over. And then he sees this guy show up, this man dressed in linen with a belt of gold, his face like the brilliance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, the sound of his words like a multitude. Only I saw the vision. The men who were with me did not see it, but the great terror fell on them, and they ran away. And I fell down and instantly went to sleep. Suddenly a hand touched me and set me shaking on my hands and knees. He said to me, Daniel, you are a man treasured by God. Understand the words that I am saying to you. Stand on your feet, for I have been sent to you. Don't be afraid, Daniel. The vision is given to Daniel to encourage him. The vision is given to Daniel to strengthen him. And and throughout chapter 10, we see this time and time again. Don't be afraid. You're treasured by God. You've strengthened me. All of these things come back and back and back through chapter 10. And there's lessons about spiritual warfare, and there's all kinds of stuff. And then we go to chapter 11, and there's all this stuff, prophecies about kingdoms that are going to rise and fall, and rulers who are going to rise and fall. And there's going to be this tribulation. And the purpose throughout all of it is to encourage Daniel. Daniel's even told, seal up the words of this prophecy. He's even told, you don't need to go about explaining this, Daniel, because that's not the point. The point is, Daniel, be strengthened. Daniel, you're treasured by God. This is the toughest thing for us, I think, when it comes to understanding the purpose of God in our time of exile. This is the hardest thing for us to understand as those who, like Daniel, live in a land that is not our home. 
The hardest thing for us to understand is what happens when other people get to go where we want to go. You know, last week I was in Utah, and I come back, and it's been a tough week here, guys. We've had families in our fellowship lose loved ones. We, we have seen those who are suffering through the loss of a mother, a sister, a brother, just in our fellowship. And it's in those times when things get hard, when we stop and have to think, what is actually real? What actually matters? How many times have you met your family at the graveside and said, why does it always take a funeral for us to get together? Right? Why do we wait till something bad happens till we all get together? I think that's kind of the encouragement that Daniel's given. Daniel, you're mourning because these others have gone and you have to stay. Why? Why? Take encouragement, Daniel. Be strengthened, Daniel. And church, I think that's the word for us. We not, may not know how to parse every single little piece of Daniel 10 through 12, but we can take the same encouragement from it that Daniel was intended to take from it. We can have our hearts encouraged at the same moment that Daniel's heart is being encouraged. He's mourning because he doesn't get to go. He's mourning because he's still in this land of exile. How does he live well has been a topic we've considered throughout our time together in this book. What I want us to consider today is how do you finish well? How do you finish well? As we continue walking through here, and, and by the way, I think it is very worthwhile. In fact, it is an incredible faith-building exercise to dig into these chapters and to see how incredible the revelations are that are given to Daniel. If you struggle to believe that the Bible is the Word of God, read these and then go read Ancient Near East History. And watch how precisely the prophecies given to Daniel line up with the rise and fall of kingdoms and rulers in that day. God is on his throne and he speaks. He knows the end from the beginning and we do not. And we can marvel at the revelation given to God. I encourage you to do that. But this morning, I want us to look at the encouragement that Daniel is receiving. He is strengthened. And so to do that, we're going to skip over a large chunk here. I already read Daniel 10, 1 through 3, but now I want us to look at Daniel 12, 1 through 3, and verse 13. Listen to this. At that time, Michael, the great prince who stands watch over your people, will rise up. There will be a time of distress such as never occurred since nations came into being until that time, but at that time, all your people who are found written in the book will escape. Daniel's encouragement here is saying, Daniel, yes, some have got to go back to Jerusalem. Some are still stuck in Babylon, including you. But at the end of days, at the time where the Lord's kingdom is established, every one of your people will be saved. And he notes that they're written in a book. And I've told you before, Revelation is just a commentary on the book of Daniel. And in, the, in Revelation, we know that that book is what? The Lamb's Book of Life. And that is the encouragement Daniel has given. is like, regardless of where you're making your home right now, 
Regardless of where you find yourself or your neighbor finds themselves, if they're home or they're still in exile, regardless of that, God will achieve his purpose for his people. And all will be saved. All will escape who are written in the book. But he goes on, many who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to eternal life and some to disgrace and eternal contempt. Those who have insight will shine like the bright expanse of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. And then you go down to verse 13. But as for you, go on your way to the end. You will rest and then you will stand to receive your allotted inheritance at the end of the days. Now what I'm gonna do is try to just unpack a couple of things from this. And for those few of you who do still remember the beginning, you're going to say, wait, he cheated. That's the same sermon he preached from Daniel 1. That's right. The book begins with this example of Daniel's faithfulness. And we talked about it when we looked at it. We talked about how that faithfulness was really the product of two things. Two things. Daniel remembered and Daniel kept going. And here at the end of the book, guess what we find again? Daniel needs to remember and he needs to keep going. And brothers and sisters, that's the exact same for us. We need to remember, and we need to keep going. The first thing I want us to say is we need to remember that this life is temporary. Remember that this life is temporary. This is not how our culture conditions us to think. Would you agree? Our culture conditions us to ignore the reality of death. Our culture is built on delaying, ignoring, postponing, pretending that death is not going to come for each one of us. And that is the precise thing that this angelic messenger tells Daniel, don't forget that. He tells him what? Many will sleep in the dust. And, and there's just a quick word about that, that, that word many there, a note for you. When we hear many, our English minds interpret that to mean not all, right? Many equals means there's some who aren't included in that. That's not the way it functions in Hebrew. The idea here is that multitudes, many as a number, not many as a remainder, many as a total of a big group of people. In fact, the NIV actually uses the word multitudes. I think that's a good translation for it. Because this is not saying that not everybody's going to sleep. This is not saying that not everybody's going to rise. This is simply saying that, wait, this is going to be a lot of people. It's hard to fathom how many people have existed, have lived, and then have died in the history of the world. I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's impossible to count. And we get kind of locked in. We, we get locked into our circle. We get locked into our surrounding, and we forget just how incredibly large the population of Earth is. We forget the fact that there are people who we will never meet, who we have no concept of the quality of their life, no concept of the way that they think, no understanding of their language, people who will live and who will die. This life is temporary. Now, how is that an encouragement for Daniel to be told that? Well, because it's not just that this life is temporary, but that there's life to come. Many who sleep 
will awake. Multitudes who sleep will awake, some to eternal life, some to disgrace and eternal contempt. This life is temporary, but there is an offer of eternal life on the table. This life indeed will end, and barring the Lord Jesus doesn't return, our lives will end, your life will end, my life will end. But what comes next? What comes next is pretty good. Eternal life, Daniel is promised, or eternal contempt and eternal disgrace. What the New Testament says is destruction. You got an option here. And Daniel, take courage from the fact that while you are old and your life is going to end, along with many others, it doesn't stay that way. There's a resurrection coming. This life is temporary. The life that's on offer is eternal. Which one do you think it makes more sense to live for? Daniel, you're mourning because you're stuck. You're mourning because you didn't go to Jerusalem. I got news for you, bud. There's an eternal kingdom that's coming. Live for that one. Get excited about that one. Don't worry about this temporary life stopping. Get excited about that eternal one starting. Daniel, there's your encouragement. Church, there's our encouragement. It can be, be so easy to lose sight of that. He doesn't just say, remember that this life is temporary. He says, remember the task. Daniel, what's your purpose? Why are you here? Those who have insight will shine like the bright expanse of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Daniel, in this eternal life that is coming, in this eternal reality, the one that doesn't end, the one that is not temporary, it's given to those who have insight, it's given to those who lead many to righteousness. It's given to those, in other words, who know who God is, because Proverbs tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of insight, the beginning of wisdom. And it's given to those who teach others the same thing, who point others to God, who point others to the reality of his life. Daniel, what are you living for? What have you done with your life? Well, you look back, and what he's done is he's given insight. He's helped Nebuchadnezzar recognize the authority of the Most High. He's interpreted dreams and visions and helped people see the reality that there's a God and he is on his throne. And regardless of what is taking place here on earth, he is in charge. He's helped them see that. Not only that, he's encouraged others, probably unnamed countless others through his work amongst his fellow Jewish believers, but then also in the pagans of his day, leading them to righteousness. Remember the task. Your task was never to get back to Jerusalem. Your, your, your task was never to achieve some sort of comfort or personal security. Your task was to bless others with the knowledge of who God is. Church, we need to remember that as well. Our task is not to build an empire. Our task is not to enjoy, to be comfortable, to be rich. Our task is to glorify God and to lead others to do the same. Remember, remember. That's the encouragement Daniel gets. But then he's also told, keep going. 
keep going. Look, look with me. Keep going on your way. Verse 13, but as for you, all right, so all of this that he just said, everything that's going to happen in the promised land, everything that's going to happen to those Jews who return, everything is going to happen on the world stage. Basically ignore all that, Daniel, but as for you, go on your way to the end. Go on your way to the end. What a word. What a word. Go on your way to the end. He doesn't say go on God's way to the end. He, he doesn't say to him, you know, straighten up. He doesn't say do better. He says go on your way. Why? Because Daniel's shown a track record of faithfulness. Daniel's shown time and time again, he's doing what the Lord wants him to do. And so it's become the situation in which Daniel's way is God's way. He's submitted himself to God to the point where that's what God wants him to do. How many of you have been confused by the New Testament? Jesus says, ask and you shall receive, right? Ask and you shall receive. Well, I've asked for an awful lot of stuff and I haven't got it. I've asked for an awful lot and it hasn't showed up. Why? Because the first thing we do when we ask is, God, your will, not my will. Grant me the desires of my heart so long as those desires line up with your heart. I thank God for unanswered prayers, and some of you are singing the song right now. Right? That's the problem. We ask, but we ask with the wrong motives, James says. We ask so that we can spend it on ourselves, but we're called to ask for God's things. And that's the point here. Go on your way. Go on the way, Daniel, that you have discovered through a lifetime of faithfulness that is connected to the plan and the purpose of God. Basically, do what you're doing for the glory of God until the end. Now, this is a hard concept to grasp for many of us. Many of us can't separate what we desire from what God desires, or we can't connect what we desire to what God desires. My question for you this morning is how will you know what is your way that you're supposed to continue on? How do you know what is your way? If you're a note taker, I want you to do something for me real quick. If you're a note taker, I want you to draw a vertical line all right, just a vertical line. It can be ever how big you want it, okay? And then I want you to draw a horizontal line that intersects the vertical line. Now, what you should end up with, if I've explained it well or your art skills are better than mine, is something that looks something like a compass or a cross, right? A vertical line intersected by a horizontal line. If you think about... What is it that God desires? You don't have to look any farther than Jesus in the New Testament. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love one another as I have loved you. Make disciples. It's pretty straightforward, really. Be a disciple, make disciples. Love God, love people. That's the vertical axis. That's what God wants. 
The next question then is, what's the horizontal line? Well, what do you want? What do you enjoy? What is it that gets you excited? Here's the problem. Many of us settle into a life of basically just paying bills. Many of us settle into an existence without asking, what is it that fills me with joy? What is it that gets me excited? Here's the thing. Knowing what your way is as a Christ follower is about finding the intersection of what gives you joy with what brings God glory. Knowing what it is that you are supposed to do with your life is that intersection. He has created you for a purpose, and that purpose will glorify him. And when you connect with it, it's, it's like that scene from the, the movie Chariots of Fire. It's, I use this illustration way too much. I know that. Some of you have heard, like, oh, man, there he goes again with Eric Liddell, whatever. Right? But listen, the Chariots of Fire quote is just one of the most powerful things I've ever heard. He was the son of missionaries to China. His family wants him to go back to China. And he says to his sister, I'm going back to China, but I've got a lot of running to do first. God has made me for a purpose. He's made me for China, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Where is it in your life that you feel God's pleasure? Where is it that you find joy? Do that and don't quit. Go that way to the end. Daniel has shown a characteristic, a habit of taking what God has given to him and giving it to others. His encouragement is keep doing that, Daniel, in Babylon. You don't get to go to Jerusalem, that's okay. Keep going, keep doing that until the end. Brothers and sisters, if you know what that is for you, why are you not doing it? If you know what it is that brings you joy and brings God glory, that connects your passions with his passions, why are you not prioritizing that? Do that until the end. And anything that gets in the way, anything that distracts, you may have to do anyways. You may have to drudge, you may have to plod, you may have to engage, right? You know what I like doing? I like seeing light bulbs come on. I like seeing people get excited about the word of God. Do you know how much of my job as a pastor is getting to do that? Maybe 5%. Sometimes I see people snoring. Not that that's happening right now. And I've seen some nudges going on. But I do the others because of where my passion connects with God's passion. Find that, lean into that, and just keep doing it until the end. Don't worry about the rest of it. Daniel says, you're gonna go rest as well. Keep going towards your rest, right? Keep going towards your rest, Daniel. That's what he says, you will rest. Keep doing what you're supposed to be doing until the end, and then you'll rest. I think one of the biggest problems in the church today, what really one of the biggest problems in society today, 
is we all want to stop. We want to rest too soon. We want the blessing of that eternal life in this life. We, we, we imagine that we can somehow reach the intended goal prior to God giving it to us. Right? I think one of the greatest travesties in the church today is our embrace of a worldly definition of retirement. We imagine that the goal is getting to the place where we don't have to work anymore. That's not the goal, brothers and sisters. In Christ, that is not the intention. And, and if we, for those of us who are a little shorter of retirement age, sometimes the ideal is we just get to the weekend or we get to our vacation, right? And we spend our entire year looking forward to that one moment of escape from responsibility and we imagine that that's the purpose of life, getting to Panama Beach, getting to the golf course, getting to the fishing hole. No, those are great. There is nothing wrong with going to the beach. There is absolutely nothing wrong with golf other than I hate it, but that's beside the point. There's nothing wrong with fishing. The problem is when we make that the goal, when that is the only reason we're living, my dad retired early from his job at a tire store. Let me just tell you, retiring early from a tire store is not a path to financial security. He didn't retire because he had enough money to live out and coast out his days. He retired because what he saw happening in the rest of his fellow managers was something he didn't want to have happen to him. They were retiring, and they'd do nothing for two years, and they'd die. And he said, hold on a second. That's not what I want. So he left the tire store and started doing real estate and doing cows and doing a bunch of other stuff to pay the bills, but at the same time being freed up to help at his church, to serve with the youth group, to plug in and engage. And it's a, day, it's a week late, but I'll tell you, my dad's one of my heroes because he recognized the goal is not doing nothing. The goal is doing what matters. And we have to reinterpret our weekends and our vacations and our retirement accordingly. There is coming a rest. There is coming a glorious time of inaction, of peace. There is coming that, but it's not here. It's not yet. Don't quit too soon because you think that's what the culture wants you to do because you've bought the lie that that will satisfy. It will not. And so we need to keep going towards the real rest. Strive to enter his rest is what the scripture encourages us to. But then also recognize that that rest contains a reward. We are to keep going for our reward. Daniel is told you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance at the end of the days. Now, this message has also infiltrated the church. This idea that if you benefit in any way from something, then it can't be the right thing. The idea that if you're rewarded for something, then somehow it's not a good thing, but that is not the New Testament perspective. Jesus tells us right there in his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, he says what? 
Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Rather, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where none of those things happen. Do not work for that which is perishable, but work instead for that which is imperishable. He's not telling us don't work for a reward. He's saying look for your reward in the right place. Look for it where it lasts. Listen, church, there is no way, no how, no shape, no form in which the gospel is any kind of good news if it is just don't do what you want, don't do anything that would make you in the eyes of the world happy, and then when you get to heaven, you'll get to play a harp and sit on a cloud. That's not the eternity that's promised us. The eternity that is promised us is thrones and kingdoms. The eternity that is promised us is reigning with Christ. The, the thing that is promised us is the inheritance of Christ being given to us. We are not destined for boredom. We are destined for glory. We are not looking forward to nothing. We are looking forward to everything. There is a reward and it makes any reward offered by this world look paltry insignificant. Paul goes so far as to say what's, what I look at and what I used to value in this life, I consider it garbage compared to what lies ahead, compared to what it is to know Christ and to receive the reward that he received. Brothers and sisters, there is a reward that is coming and it is worth giving up anything in this world for. Why do we not have that perspective? Because like Daniel, we feel like we're stuck. We feel like everybody else is getting the stuff that we wanted. And here we are, still serving an oppressive king, still in exile. And he says, Daniel, no. Knock it off with the pity party. You will receive your reward. And it's not a temporary home in Jerusalem. It's the glory of the kingdom of God forever and ever and ever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, what we need most in a world that seems to be going to hell in a handbasket, what we need most in a world that seems like it has lost the plot, like everybody's gone crazy all at once, what we need is to remember that this life is not all there is. What we need is to remember that there is a task we've been given. We need to keep going, doing what it is that God has called us to do, loving him, loving people, making disciples. We need to keep going, looking for the rest that is truly rest, not the rest that we can pretend satisfies us and we need to be looking for the right reward and when we do you will find that no matter how crazy the world is no matter how insane life appears to be you will find like daniel peace you will find strength dare i say you will find joy that you've never known before let's pray father god as we think about Daniel, we think about his example. 
Lord, the encouragement given to him, Lord, it, would it be given to us? Would you reset our expectations? Would you change our perspective? Help us to see the worth of what it is that you have offered. And help us to see the worthlessness of everything we tend to cling to, the idols we erect. Lord, I pray that you would challenge our hearts. And Lord, as we finish this book, would you help us to finish it well? Lead us to decide this morning exactly how we will continue, exactly how we will live for your glory, exactly how we will embody your son. Jesus, we thank you so much for the salvation you offer us through your death on the cross and for the kingdom that you invite us to be a part of. Would we treasure it, treasure you above all? We pray this in your name. Amen.